Well, good morning, everybody. All right, good to see you. Thanks for being here this morning. I really appreciate you making the time to come. Hi, good morning. And uh, thank you for joining us online on Facebook as well. Good to see you guys there. And uh, we have a host there online who'd love to connect with you. And feel free to like or comment on anything that you see along the way. But um, hey, I want to start off in this, this thing. First of all, thanking Seth Fisher for picking up last week. I really was encouraged by him and grateful for his message. Um, but I, um, I know this, that I'm not a farmer nor the son of a farmer. But I think I know something that we all know. And that is that soil that gets hardened is no good for receiving seed. That soil that is dried up by a lack of rain or the beating of the sun needs to be plowed up in order to receive seed and for crops and good fruit to grow. And I think the same is true for our own hearts, that I have seen people, and maybe you have seen people, whose hearts have kind of gotten hard. I think of one of my music teachers in Barbados when I was a 12-year-old kid. She was an incredibly talented musician, lived, lived on an island. She was one of the best musicians on the island teaching in our school. But she kind of became, I would say, I'm going to use a strong word, but I'm going to say I think she became entitled to her position because she was so good at what she did and she was there so long. There were few who would question her um, abilities or even her execution of her teaching strategy. So I remember sitting there as an 11, 12-year-old kid paralyzed by fear in her class because she she would drop the F-bomb on us and other cuss words at us when we failed to do what we were supposed to do when learning the recorder. But she kind of became entitled to her position, and she was beyond correction. And you may have had a boss like that. You may have a roommate like that. You may be thinking, maybe my mom or my dad is like that. But entitlement, entitlement is an ugly thing when we see it in others, and it's also ugly when we see it in our own hearts. But it's hard to see in our own hearts. It's easy to see when the soil is hard, just hard to see when my heart gets that hard and gets that entitled. And my interest today is talking about entitlement, not just entitlement in the general sense, but entitlement spiritually. Because sometimes I believe that the longer that we are in the faith and the longer that you call yourself a Christian, the longer even sometimes that you attend church, the easier it can be to feel entitled. Entitled to church the way that you have always experienced it. Entitled to a faith that's maybe passed down to your next generation. Entitled to the belief that maybe your kids will believe on the same issues the same way you do. Entitled to saying that this moral and ethical framework that people in these pews share with me is what I'm entitled to have when I come to this church. Entitled to the belief that perhaps the way that I see the world, you name it right now, Politically, relative to our pandemic, relative to what brings us stress, entitled to the belief that this is the way that I am allowed to and supposed to see this world. The problem with entitlement is this, <laughs> that entitlement, you know this, entitlement hardens us and good fruit can't grow in hard soil. That's just the reality. Entitlement is an ugly reality that threatens each of our hearts and our heart collectively as a community of faith. Jesus knew this, and this is why he addressed it head on when he engaged the Pharisees in the Gospel of Matthew. And that's what I want to invite you to turn this morning. If you have a Bible with you, I'm not going to put all of the text on the screen. If you're um, online, I encourage you to, you can go to um, anywhere you want there, BibleGateway.com or YouVersion. Um, if you're here, you can use the YouVersion app or pick up a Bible in the pew in front of you. Matthew chapter 21 is where I'm going to go. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, but Matthew 21, uh, it's kind of the right two thirds of your Bible. We're going to pick up a place where Jesus, this is what I think is happening. Jesus is bringing the plow 
to the hard hearts of the Pharisees. So Jesus has been bringing the plow, he's been breaking up the ground, and the Pharisees are upset. By way of context, Jesus has been teaching for a while, he's been healing, he's been doing miracles for a while, and the, the Pharisees are starting to get agitated because everything that they have been handed is being threatened by Jesus who's bringing a plow of authority and energy and, and um, strength to what he's doing. And they're starting to wonder, like, we, we wonder, we wonder, on what authority are you doing this? So check it out as we jump in, verse 23 of Matthew chapter 21. Jesus entered the temple courts, and while he was teaching, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him and asked this question, by what authority are you doing these things, they asked, and who gave you this authority? Because they're feeling threatened by their past, their beliefs are now at risk. And Jesus replied, verse 24, I'll ask you one question. If you answer me, I'll tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. John's baptism, where did it come from? Was it from heaven or of human origin? And they discussed it among themselves and said, well, if we say from heaven, then he'll ask, then why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, then we're afraid of the people, for they all hold that John was a prophet. And so they answered Jesus, we don't know. <laughs> Political answer, if there ever was one. And then he said, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. That's a great moment, almost like a mic drop moment, then you can walk away. But then he offers one more thing. He's like, listen, while I have your attention, since you asked me the question, I'm not going to answer it. I'm going to tell you what's going on in your hearts, Pharisees. I'm going to just tell you a couple stories so you understand what's happening. He says, so hold on, hold on. What do you think, verse 28? What do you think? What do you think about this story? I'm going to tell you a story. There was a man who had two sons, and he went to the first and said, son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered, but later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing, and he answered, I will, sir, but he did not go. Now, which of these two did what his father wanted? And the answer is obvious, the first, they answered. And Jesus said to them, truly, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not, and here's a key word for this morning, you did not repent and believe him. You did not repent and believe him. And so what's Jesus saying? It's really simple. There are two sons. One says, sure, I'll do it, and doesn't do it, and one says, no way, but okay, and which one was the good son? Which one did? And obviously the answer is the one who actually did it. It's a simple lesson. But here's what Jesus is saying, that there are two sons, both, if you will, are entitled to the benefit of being in the father's house. And just because the one is in the father's house and says, I'll do it, when he doesn't produce fruit, when he doesn't go out and do anything, he doesn't get the benefit of the blessing of the father. Like, it's not enough just to be a son of the father in this story. You have to do this thing. What is this? He's saying, well, the ones who at first rebelled and said, I'm not going to do that. You want me to do what? And then later changed their mind and did it are the tax collectors and the prostitutes. This is why, and you know this is true. This is why it's true for many of your friends, some of whom you work with, some are in your family. They prefer, they prefer to go to the bar than to the church, right? They find more community and friendliness in the bar than in the pews. Why is that? 
Why is that? Because many, and I'm, there's a complex answer to that question, but many, many will say, listen, the church is too rigid. There's a group of people who have a set of beliefs and it just doesn't fit with mine, and I get it, I'm fine if they have those beliefs, but in the bar, to be honest, I find people like me. They're fellow sinners. They're people who cuss at work and who, when they, bad things happen, they don't think good things. They're people who've had a checkered past, but they have grace and friendliness, so they just, they'll buy me a beer. But in the church, they'll judge me first. So where would I rather go? And this is where Jesus has the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they're the ones who said, no way, I'm going to reject that. But they ultimately say, sure, I'm in. That there's a repentance of the heart. Whereas the older son or the son in this case is like, um, yeah, I'll do everything you say. But actually evidences nothing in his life. And he goes on. He says, listen to another parable in case that wasn't good enough. Verse 33. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it and dug a wine press in it and built a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. And then he sent other servants to them more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. Uh, they'll respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. And Jesus said to him, have you never read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will, and here's a key phrase, who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Now, here's what's so important. When Jesus gets into this story, what he's essentially saying is what's important for the son and what's important for these folks is that fruit is actually produced. Not just that an inheritance is passed down and passed down and passed down but that actual work of the heart is done. And here's why that really matters, that fruit, fruit is how people experience God. That fruit is how people experience God. Isn't that true? Isn't that true for you? That the fruit of someone's life that you have picked and eaten has been refreshing to you. You have seen maybe in a mentor or a coach or a grandparent or a youth leader or a pastor or a friend someday they have shared with you, and you have seen as they've walked through pain and struggle and hurt and joy, you have tasted and seen from them that the Lord is good. You have seen how they have walked through difficult times. You have seen love where there could be hate. You've experienced joy where there should be sadness. You've seen people with patience where they should be incredibly impatient, that the fruit of what you have experienced is actually the experience of tasting and seeing that God is good. That the issue at hand isn't a moral conformity to the law, but rather it is a fruit-producing life 
that says the fruit of the Spirit becomes my interest, that how do I engage the fruit of the Spirit? And this is where Paul, later on in Galatians, says this, and you think about what good fruit is, he said it's, it's this way, and he just writes this in Galatians 5, what in the world is the fruit? It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that these issues, these things about fruit, <laughs> these are the things that you really need to look at. It's not just showing up in the temple, Pharisees. It's not just passing down law upon law upon law to the next generation. It's not just about showing up in the church and being moral and ethical, because these things can dry out the soul and harden the heart and make us feel entitled to share the moral space with people who share our morals, all the while being righteous and pious, but missing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Because if these things are evidenced in the bar, <laughs> or if they're evidenced in the locker room, or if they're evidenced in the water cooler room, the break room at work, where do you think I'm going to go and where are you going to go to experience the fruit that you really want to experience? Now, the question I have to ask is, you know, what, what does this mean? When, when good fruit is the interest, and this is what Jesus is talking about with the Pharisees, if good fruit is the interest, where does that come from? And I want to encourage you, the scriptures don't tell you to produce fruit. This is so important. The focus isn't on production of fruit, but repentance of the heart. The, the focus isn't on that. So here, let me look at it this way. Good fruit, you know this, this is going to be really complex. Good fruit comes from good trees. <laughs> but then good trees are planted and they grow in good soil. And so if you want good fruit, and if I want good fruit in my life, the focus ultimately becomes on where am I planted? What soil am I in? It's not about just producing more. In other words, my interest for you isn't to leave this time and just be like, you know what? I need to be more loving. I need to figure out a way to be more joyful. I need to be more patient. I need to be more gentle. I'm not asking you to produce more. And Jesus isn't asking you to produce more. The question becomes, where is my tree rooted? And can fruit come from a tree that's rooted in good soil? So the question about fruit has to go back to the soil. And so the question is this, what is good soil? which Jesus already gave us a clue about in his parables and which he's already talked about. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus puts it this way. He says, produce fruit. Produce fruit that is in keeping with repentance. He answers this question right away. It's so powerful. Produce fruit that's in keeping with repentance. And this is the first story of the son who... who finally came, and he talked about the tax collectors and the prostitutes, and Jesus said there in verse 32 that we read a minute ago, he said, even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. This idea of a turning of the heart, of a softening of the heart, of a humility of the heart that changes an outside behavior. That Jesus is saying, producing fruit, producing fruit is in keeping with repentance. And so if you logically want to produce fruit, the first thing that must be cultivated is soil that is a repentant soil. That the characteristic of my soil must be repentant. There must be a mark in my life, and I'm going to extend it broadly in the life of a community, that we must be a repentant community that can produce good soil, the fruit, good fruit that the community must mark what I individually desire. To be able to confess, to be able to own, to be able to show responsibility, to be able to have a, hard, a soft enough heart to say, I was wrong on this issue. I was wrong in the way I approached it. I, 
a need to ask for your forgiveness, a confessional, repentant nature. Produce fruit that's in keeping with, that follows logically from repentance, which is where the tax collectors and sinners were because they knew without question, yeah, I've sinned. I'm a tax collector, man. I always steal money from people. I'm a prostitute. Look at what I've done. Clearly, I'm, I'm a sinner. So, yeah, I've been wrong. I've, I have been wrong. And we saw last week or two weeks ago in Luke 15 that Jesus rejoices. Heaven rejoices over repentance, doesn't condemn us for repentance. So produce fruit in keeping with repentance. But then Jesus also tells another parable about soil that I think is very important. He tells a story about four kinds of soil where seed is kind of planted. And in there, as he's explaining the good soil, he puts it this way. He says this in Matthew chapter 13. He said, the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So again, look at that. Good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. That there's a confessional heart, but the hearing and understanding implies and suggests that I hear it and the understanding is the walking out of. It's the moving in action toward. It's saying, I, I hear that I can be impatient. My spouse tells me that sometimes. Now I need to walk in that, in that understanding. It's this repenting heart and repenting walk that come together, that hear and understand so that fruit can be produced. Now, sometimes it's easier to see what something is by looking at what it's not. And I love how Paul writes it in Galatians, as we talk about the heart, where our soil is, as he finishes in, in, in context of the verses I'm going to show you here, this is right after Paul lays out what is the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and so on. And then he says this in Galatians 5. He says, well, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Good idea. If the Spirit leads us this way, let's kind of stay in step with that. But he says, but he says, there's something to avoid. There's a bad soil to avoid. And in looking at that, it can help me know when I fall into it. He puts it this way. Let us not become conceited provoking and envying each other. This is looking at what soil should not be. This is another option. There is soil that is soil that grows conceit, grows people who like to provoke, and grows people who like to envy. And he said, this is the enemy of that spirit-filled life. I know leaders like this. You know leaders like this. I know people like this. You know people like this. I have been people like this. Maybe you have been people like this. So I don't point a finger away from me when I point a finger, but I still need to draw it out. That there is this immediate concern around a soil that is um, repentant and can grow good fruit. The first thing that Paul identifies is conceit will kill that. The conceit of heart that says, I don't need to apologize. I'm going to double down on my issues. May you throw something at me, I'm going to pivot and turn it somewhere else. I mean, what do I need to apologize for? You're the one who got it wrong. There's this, there's this conceit that kind of assumes like the way that I see the world is probably right because my parents also saw it that way and my echo chamber on social media is affirming that and my friends who don't like to challenge me because they want to be friends with me and I want to be friends with them, they don't challenge me either. And so there's a, a conceit that can subtly come in and we can become entitled to our spiritual opinions. And he said, listen, let us not become conceited. Let us not provoke. <laughs> can you imagine conversation in our public square that doesn't provoke right now. 
Can you imagine a conversation that doesn't provoke and push and, and egg people on right now? You know we're such a divided um, you know, culture right now. There's so much anger and stress going on. But there's also great stories of people who can figure out ways to come together and not provoke one another. But here's what he says. Watch out for people. Watch out for that tendency to provoke. And you know when that tendency comes into your life and when it comes into mine. When someone is going to vote differently than me. When someone deals with a pandemic differently than me. When someone talks about a matter of uh, a moral um, boundary differently than me. Then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provoke that a little bit. I'm like, what are, they, what are they thinking? What are they doing? How would anyone think that way? I can't believe anybody would do that. And I begin pushing and provoking. and It's not good soil. It doesn't produce patience. It doesn't produce gentleness. It doesn't produce faithfulness. It just produces a hardness of heart where good soil can't grow, good seed can't grow. And then he says, don't envy each other either. And I don't know about you, but I find myself in this camp too of envying, wanting, and wishing that I had what you had, maybe that you have what I have. Maybe you're looking at someone's marriage, you're looking at someone's kids, you're looking at someone's house, you're looking at someone's phone, their clothes, their car, their future, their present, their past, whatever it might be. Now you know and I know that you can't grow joy in the middle of a heart that envies, that you can't produce that kind of fruit. And so Paul gives us this picture of here's what to avoid. Avoid conceit. Avoid provoking each other in your conversations. Avoid envy. Because that will kill this good seed. And so then the question becomes, the question kind of becomes for us, what is good soil? If I could summarize this down to what in the world is good soil? And I want to just put it this way and, and explain it a little bit. That good soil, I think, I'm going to put it this way, is, is sharing life in a repenting, confessional community. That good soil is a sharing of life in a community of people who is a repentant community and a confessional community, who in a learning posture says, you know what, I do have views politically. I do have views morally. I have views ethically. I have views on how things should be, and you know what? I think I'm starting to see that my kids might be seeing things different. My grandparents definitely see things different than I do, and my grandkids definitely see things different than I do. What is going on? Maybe there's learning that has to happen. Maybe there's a mutual understanding that says we need to be a community that is soft enough of heart that we're not conceited as if my position is the right one and the only one. That Jesus brings his plow to the heart of the Pharisees to break up this ground so that in that breaking up of ground, seed can be planted so that people can pick the fruit from Christian trees of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. That as you discuss in the town square, as you share your opinions with your family, and you should, as you engage with people who differ with you on matters of faith or matters of politics or matters of the future, matters of finances, matters of personal persuasion, as you differ with that, what if you could differ in a way that your feet are planted in a soil of a repenting confessional community? that comes with a position, but comes with a humility of heart that is ready to say, you know what? I believe this, but let me learn. Let me hear. Let me come, not conceited. I'm not coming to provoke, but I'm coming to encourage, coming to learn, coming to challenge. What could that look like? What could that be? Can you imagine conversations like that? Can you imagine conversations in your family like that? 
where people can pluck that and say, wow, they are going to vote very differently than me, but my goodness, they're really kind in how they're talking about that. And they're very understanding of my own position. Boy, these people really think this way on the pandemic, and they really think that way, but you know what? They're not being judgmental on this thing. They're being so gracious and understanding. You know what? I think I want a little bit of that fruit. I mean, this person has every reason to be joyless because of the health problem that they're dealing with. Every reason to be joyless. But it seems like they're not, and I want to know where their feet are planted because I think there's something there that's growing that I think I want. And Jesus warns the Pharisees, and I think he warns all of us who have any kind of tradition or heritage that's been passed down to us over and over again, that entitlement and spiritual entitlement is a real threat to people tasting and seeing that the Lord is good, that a repentant community learns even from those who are so far sometimes outside of our very own community, which is why sometimes in the bars you may experience a level of grace that you may not experience in the pews. I'm not encouraging you to go get drunk in the bars. Please hear me, okay? I think you know that. But what I am encouraging you to say is where there is grace, where there is love, where there is joy, where there is peace, wherever that is found, that is the fruit of the kingdom of God. And whenever there is moralism, whenever there is rigidity, wherever there is hardness, wherever there is a non-repenting, non-confessional community that cannot see that maybe our views that have been handed to us might need to be adjusted, then there is an entitlement that can settle in and a hardness of our heart. And so, two questions for you as we wrap up. This first one, what soil am I in? What soil am I in? What rhythm of repentance is in my life? A couple practical challenges or opportunities for you to think about. What soil am I in? Let me ask you this question. Are you reading anybody else? Are you reading anybody who differs from you right now? Do you regularly bring in a diet of people who think very differently from you? Do you have friends who would challenge you lovingly, but challenge you in a different viewpoint? And are you, are you engaged in a kind of prayer that invites God to routinely search you and know you and test you as you start your day, that he can lead you in that way. That these little things, these little opportunities of inviting people in, inviting other resources in, can create a softening of a heart and softening of our positions. Not that we run away from them because we want to be soft, wussy people, but because we want to be a repenting, confessional community that is planted is planted in the soil of repentance that we can produce fruit in keeping with repentance, that people can taste and see that God is good, especially, especially through divisive times, which leads to the last question, and that is this, what fruit am I producing? What fruit is growing in me? What is going on where people can say, you know what, this is what I see in you, and this is where I'd encourage you, like, here's how this works for me. I will say, even this week, when I look at why sometimes I'm impatient, when I look at that and I say, I'm not, do, I'm, I'm not producing fruit that, that has patience right now. And often I find, as I trace that back, that I'm rooted, I'm rooted, not in good soil, but I'm rooted in a, an envious soil sometimes. I'm rooted in something envious where I wanted something different for my family or something different for me financially or something different for our future, but I was planted in a place of envy and that becomes a time of confession. 
And so when I see fruit in me that isn't the kind of fruit that I want you to pluck and eat and find refreshment in, you can trace it back to say, where is this coming from? And a repentant, confessional community that can sharpen one another. Just a beautiful thing. And Jesus brings the plow to the Pharisees and says, hey guys, be ready to learn from anybody, even those who you may perceive to be far outside of faith, that you can be people who produce fruit in keeping with repentance so that the people around you, your friends, your family, your coworkers, can taste and see that God is good from the fruit that is coming from your life planted in good soil. All right, guys, next week, Jesus talks about another parable, another story um, about two debtors and an unforgiving servant. And if you have interest in learning and talking about the issue of forgiveness, um, it's going to be a powerful one for me next week, and would look forward to seeing you there. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to be here this morning to engage in this issue of what it means to be a repenting, confessional community that doesn't allow our hearts to be hardened or spiritual entitlement to settle in. I pray where that does happen, you would bring us back and you would restore us in a, um, in a sense of confession personally, privately, and then in community with one another and sharing of life with one another that we can continue to grow as a confessing, uh, repentant community that can be grounded in, grounded in the kingdom of God, grounded in your spirit, that we can allow your spirit as we keep in step to produce in us a kind of fruit that is good for our culture good for our schools, good for our places of employment, that people can eat the fruit from our tree and find the soil of the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, grace and forgiveness rooted deeply in us. I pray that you'd help us to ask those questions. What soil am I planted in? What fruit is growing in me? Give us grace to keep our hearts soil from getting hard. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.